Welcome to Our Hen House. This is Marianne Sullivan. And this is Jasmine Singer. Thank you so much for joining us this week. You're going to be glad you did. Jasmine's going to be welcoming Robbie Lockie, who is the co-founder of Plant-Based News. And I haven't listened to this interview yet, but you have been so excited about it that now I'm truly excited about it. And I can't wait to listen. Mm. And I personally find plant-based news so incredibly valuable. As people know who listen to the end of, of Our Hen House, when I do Rising Anxieties, I often find really entertaining tidbits on plant-based news. Uh, I love it. So yeah. I can't wait. I also really like Robbie. Like I, Robbie, if you're listening to this, <laughs> this could be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Uh, we really connected only recently in the last few months. And I just really like him a lot. He's a good person. I was recently looking on plant-based news and I saw on Facebook that uh, they had a story that said that this vegan dating website surpassed 200,000 global users. And the photo that plant-based news used to illustrate it was two men who kind of had their arms around each other. And Robbie had posted like, please go to my Facebook page because there are so many homophobic comments. And I don't Mm -hmm. know what came over me, (laughs) but I went and I was really floored by the homophobia. Well, that's a horrible story. I'm sorry, but, you know, plant-based news was, they were amazing. They were, like, responding to every single comment. It was sassy, but it was, like, not mean. And, yeah, it was a a sad story. I think right now I'm feeling really sensitive. I think we're all feeling really sensitive with the world the way it is and the election coming up. But Robbie is the real deal, and he is an incredible advocate. And I'm so excited that he's on the show today. And he's also on the bonus segment. So you'll be hearing more of my conversation with Robbie. If you are a flock member, you'll get a link to that bonus segment in your email on Tuesday after this podcast episode goes up or or you can always find it on the flock Facebook group. And if you're not a member of the flock and you can afford it, you can join at $10 a month or for $10 a month at ourhenhouse.org slash donate more on donations in a minute because we have some exciting updates yes indeed we do and of course the other benefit of being a flock member at least at this time during the pandemic is that we're doing our flock friday zoom calls uh they're at 4 p.m eastern time and this past one we had special guest antonio franuti of the mexican animal advocacy organization animal heroes It was such a great conversation. What a sweet guy. Mm -hmm. I loved this conversation and it was really inspiring. Like he brought so much positive energy to it. So if you're a member of the flock, check out the flock Facebook group for updates on those conversations or write to us at info at ourhenhouse.org. And we will give you info. Yeah. If you write to us. And we we totally listen to our flock members who are on that call, you know, every now and then we'll say, what do you all want? us to talk about or what guests you want and so far like every single guest that they've wanted to like have further conversation with whether it was brenda morris or antonio franuti or liz marshall we were like okay we and well jen made it happen we just logged on and there there they were but it's it's really cool it's really cool so thank you to those of you who are already in the flock and thank you to those of you who are going to be soon (laughs) And do you want to talk a little bit about, uh, since you're already started talking about money and fundraising and the end of year and the beginning of the end of the year, the big holiday that starts off every end of year at our hen house. Do you want to uh, tell people what's going on? 
my birthday. <laughs> I, I'm, yes. Uh, my birthday is was yesterday, if you're listening to this the second it, it comes out, which surely you are. I'm probably still up partying. That's not even remote, remotely true. But <laughs> my birthday, October 30th, and this comes out on October 31st, Halloween. So happy Halloween. Happy birthday to me. And I do always love my birthday for many reasons. It is a poignant, uh, yes, national holiday. And I, it also is the beginning of our end of year fundraising every Why year. Why is it poignant? Well, it's poignant for me because I'm very into like dates as markers and like where was oh, okay. I a year ago and where will I be in a year? Right. Actually, there was yeah such... that would that would actually be hard for me. I don't know. Well, I I prefer to just live, in not the dwell in the past. Well, that's better, I think, than what I'm doing. But there was the funniest too. skit on SNL this past weekend where oh my god, that was hilarious. <laughs> where Kate McKinnon was playing a psychic and like a group of friends went to see her in 2019 to just say oh my god 2019 totally sucked what do you think 2020 will bring and like she was like you will not go on your vacation to paris instead you will drive to kentucky and pee in a bag (laughs) i mean it just kept going on and on and yeah i don't want to give all the jokes away but it really was hilarious so funny i often think what if what if I had seen this headline a year ago? No. What would I think? I know. Uh, but they did. They really took it oh, and, and ran with it. it. Yeah. So anyhow, uh, but a year ago when I turned 40, because now I just turned 41, uh, which makes me think of the song. She was 41 and her daddy, daddy still, still called her baby. I don't think we're aligned like Mike wise. So that's going to be oh. hard for our listeners. But Eric, our well, editor, have fun it, editing It was that. all on purpose. However, it comes out. Right. It's it so, was, That's how we intended to do it. I mean, a it. year ago, I was having this big 40th party in my apartment in West Hollywood. And like, you know, it was it was epic. And now a year later, I'm in upstate New York, you know, really looking forward to a Hocus Pocus uh, live stream with Bette Midler and, and, you know, like... I know. What if you'd gone to that fortune teller a year ago on your birthday? I know. And and she, she like, said, you'll be living in Greenville, New York. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you would be like, what? I know. And you will, ne- and you will never leave the house. Yeah. And, uh... You will, you will and- buy extra pairs of your favorite sweatpants, which I did <laughs> <laughs> recently. But anyhow, okay. So it is my birthday. I'm 41. I am super grateful to all of our supporters at our hen house because here we are and it is the beginning of our end of year fundraising season. And normally in the past, what that has meant was that between October 30th and December 31st, your dollars were doubled. So any dollar that you donated would be counted as as two because we have a group of barnyard benefactors who collectively pool $20,000 if that is matched by another 20000 by you. From our listeners. Yeah. So in the past, it's been $20,000, Barnyard Benefactors, $20,000 our listeners. And this year, I am so beyond thrilled to say that we have another layer here in the mix. We have a donor who is matching that as well. So we've got $20,000 from the Barnyard Benefactors, $20,000 from an anonymous donor and $20,000 hopefully from you. Well, if it's if if you, if you don't cough it up, then we don't get any. Right. Of it. So, if <laughs> not you not to put not to put any pressure on. 
No, but if you donate like $10, basically it counts as 30. And if you donate $100, basically it counts as 300. And because our henhouse is a 501c3 nonprofit, all of your donations are tax deductible. And so if you go to ourhenhouse.org slash donate and you make a donation, then that between now and December 31st will be tripled. So thank you in advance for that. Now, what this means if you're in the flock already, if you're a if you're a monthly donor, thank you. Your money is still tripled because every single dollar that comes in will be counted toward this. But if you feel like throwing a few extra bucks our way and you are in a position to be able to, we be, we believe strongly in the power of pro-animal responsible women-run media, especially in the days we're in right now. So thank you for those of you who also believe that media is worth supporting. It's similar to PBS or NPR. We wouldn't have them if it weren't for listeners. And same thing with our hen house now in our 11th year. Did that, thank you. Uh, I, I need to go back. Did that, sound, did that sound ungrateful when I said if you don't cough it up because I didn't mean it like that? Well, especially because so we, we don't want anyone to cough these days. We seriously just, don't. Yeah. And no, we it, are incredibly incredibly grateful mm-hmm. for every donation and now i sound like i'm just trying to make up but but we really are yeah. it means so, and thank it, you it, it almost makes me cry and if you become a flock member right now between now and december 31st then in addition to the bonus content and the flock facebook group i'll send you a video message if you if you donate a hundred dollars or more i'll send you a personal video message so Thanks so much for that in advance, rhenos.org slash donate. So uh, I just wanted to mention something uh, very kind of random because I was watching The Connors the other day. I love that show. You know, I hardly ever watch it. That's because my, you watch it on Hulu. Yeah, your yeah, Hulu's messed my up. My Hulu doesn't really work. Well, the, anyway, the, I should get rid of it. Anyway, that's not very interesting. No, is it? Tell us Sarah, about watching Sarah the Gilbert is a vegan lesbian. The lesbian part is neither here nor there, but I get excited about it. But anyhow, she is a vegan and a lesbian. And she, so she is she has a lesbian? Like, mm-hmm. And she has made these mentions on the show of veganism. And I just was watching it the other day and I was so happy about the vegan mention because it was like random. It was like her her boyfriend was looking in the fridge and said, Hey, I bought some uh something like I bought some vegan cheese the other day. Where did it go? And she was like, "Well, I was drinking wine and I needed some vegan cheese to go with it or something along those lines." And it was like not a joke. It was just a mention. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I could almost I could almost feel that she was she like stopped the last take and was like, "I'm not saying this unless it's vegan cheese." Cuz it was so unintentional sounding that like mm-hmm. vegan was just thrown in the sentence. So I just Wanted to throw out some appreciation for yeah, Sarah I, Gilbert. Yeah, I, I do love that. Just like a, a mention that is very matter of fact. Not only not making fun of us, but not even like making right. a big deal of it. Just like this is the way it is. And that's just going to be the future. Step, yeah. The next step in the future is that she'll say cheese and everybody will know it's vegan cheese because that's all there is. <laughs> yeah. I, I, okay. That sounds great. But I like this one better because, you know, even if she said cheese, I would have just replaced it in my head with vegan cheese because that's just how I get through the world as I replace everything that I hear in a mention or on TV. I with frequently like, do like in the store or something and forget that. Oh, that's bad. Don't do that. Vegan. Don't do that. <laughs> well, only for a second. So anyway, you've been busy tidying. I, I've been well, helping my you. Life is, my life is um, overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Well, 
I'm easily overwhelmed. So there is that. But yeah, I'm planning on moving. This isn't immediate, but it, it is the plan. And hopefully it will become fairly immediate fairly soon. Who knows? There's many steps between here and there. But the first step is to tidy up my house, which is kind of a job, I have to admit. But my house isn't like a total disaster. You know, I don't love to throw things out, but I'm I'm not a serious collector of things. What I've been doing is either putting the, the first step uh, is kind of just getting rid of stuff. And I either donate it or throw it out if it's useless or just pack it. And I'm going to put that somewhere just so the house looks so much nicer. And my house looks so much nicer. And I just, I said this to you the other day, and now I wanted to share it with everybody. Like some of you probably already know this, but for the few of you who are like me and have too much crap around, just get rid of it. Your house is so lovely. My house is so much more comfortable. It's so much less stressful, like to not have all that crap around. And, and, you know, the stuff I have kept, I've organized. What I would really like to get to do is, like I said, I have piles of stuff to throw out and piles of stuff to donate. I should probably just throw out or donate everything. That, and then piles of stuff to keep. And I should just donate it all, uh, mm-hmm. even the stuff I was planning on keeping, because less stuff is so much better. And I just thought this is it's not something you often see in lists of ways to take care of yourself. But it is a really good way to take care of yourself. I felt so much less stressed today because there's just not too much stuff around me. Well, and I've been there helping you, <laughs> not that I want credit, but I, I do want to say that like one thing that has been jarring to me as I organize my life and house and and help you a little bit with yours is the amount of crap we just put in bins in storage. And it's just like, you know, in order to skim off the top mm-hmm. to put your apartment, your house available for for sale, we've kind of had to stage it a little bit. And part of that has entailed I think that everybody outside. should stage should stage their house for themselves. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That Not all for other the people. stuff that there's I put in your garage, the, you should just get rid of. Stuff, there's, all, there's also all this stuff that I had done. Like I had a handyman come and, you know, fix this little thing and fix that little thing. And every a time I see each thing come. that got fixed, I'm... I'm <laughs> a handyman. handyman come. Unfortunately, it wasn't a candyman. It was no. a handyman. Um, <laughs> a handy person. Every time I see my front porch now that, you know, used to be scratched up and now it's painted nicely, I'm like, that looks so nice. Now, why did I not do that for me? And by the way, I did not mean to discount your enormous help in in doing this. I was just... Okay, that's fine. Yes, you've been a huge, huge help. Well, when I was a kid, my stepfather, Wayne, may he rest in peace, he, um, he made our basement. Like, he finished the basement. It took him, like, it took him like 10 years. I swear to God, it took him like 10 years. And he finally finished the basement and he finished everything except in the wall. There was like this like explosion of wires in this one part of the wall and everything else was like perfect. And we just never fixed it. And then, of course, you know how this goes when they sold the house. Yeah. They had to fix it. And it looks we so fix nice. everything for other people, not for ourselves. It is self-care for sure to do it. And uh, I'm glad that you're tidying. I think I lean too much into tidying. I sit in my living room right now and I'm thinking this looks so nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hear you. And I think I over tidy. Like, I think I do it when like as a procrastination measure instead of like writing that article or whatever. I'm, like, I'm going to tidy for a few minutes. And you do have 
a fair amount of stuff, though. <laughs> I really do. I do. What? What's so yeah. funny? That uh, I tried to say it so carefully. Oh, that was hilarious. I mentioned it last week that I wrote this article for Kinder Beauty where I, I'm usually behind the scenes there, but I, I wrote a piece that came out on my birthday, which was about f- f- 41 ways that I prioritize self-care even though I'm busy. And I know I mentioned it to you last week, but uh, tidying is one of them. Like tidying was on it. I so sure. just read the article years ago, but you didn't write it until now. Well, I had to be old. I had to be 41 to have all of these life insights, but... um. I'll give you a few other t- yeah, tips. Are there any others? Do any yeah. of them relate to like uh, being vegan or or, yes, or of having course. a cause, having yes. an ethic? Because I feel like I'm just talking about myself. But the thing that really gives me peace, of course, is to have, is have some kind of purpose. I was just saying to, that to you the other day about, you know, Rose has been so ill and so up and down through this whole pandemic. But it's kind of given, you know, not that I'm happy about it. It makes me really, really sad. But I have felt like I have a purpose. So I would assume that that some of yours are, are focused on having a purpose because that changes everything. No, I mean, being vegan is the big one. And especially because a lot of the uh, a lot of the well, n- number 40 was I'm vegan and I, I go on about that. But many of the other ones weave it in. I just because the audience at Kinder isn't necessarily vegan. They're like vegan leaning or they're cruelty free, you know, uh, subscribers to or or patrons they don't support animal testing but i don't know what their diets are necessarily so yeah that one's in it being anti-racist is in it which is also really important to me it's a way to practice self-care is to live in accordance with your ethics it really is but i also have you know i also have other things in there like i i have hobbies (laughs) you know it's it's interesting that that's even a thing. But when you're lucky enough to be able to do what you love doing the most for, for a living, it can be tricky because I just want to do this all the time. Make media, do animal rights, write, um, you know, and 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 yet it is important to have hobbies that have nothing at all to do with anything. So I do. I have some hobbies. Yeah, I'm not very good at that. I no, just watch not. TV. I That's don't really true. Have you hobbies. don't. You're not great at hobbies. I I I have no. a tap dance floor, like a a mobile one that I put out tap dance. Um, and I I'm listening to an audiobook right now because my brain just can't read anymore after all of the reading I do. I have the same. Pro- I think a lot of people have that problem. And I can. I usually love to read, but I cannot focus for more than a page. No, me neither. These days. Me neither. Very- I, I keep buying books and I keep like I keep banking piles of books. You're, you're very good at that. You can build a new house and, and with not your doing piles anything of books. else with them. Well, I the um the audiobook is helping. I'm reading a book called Girl, Woman, Other, and it, the audiobook is helping a lot because it's also written in a kind of artsy fartsy way that makes it a little hard to focus on. And I think oh yeah, that I don't need. But I need something that's very easy to focus on. Right. That's why you like cartoons. Cartoons are self-care for you. I'm also reading uh, I'm I'm reading a young adult book along with my great niece. Okay. We're reading it together. Right. And and that that has been good because a it's a young adult book so, you know, I can kind of absorb it and um it's it's relatively easy to read and and two I always have an incentive. You know, when I think, "Oh, I, I can't read now. I don't want to read now." And then I remember she's going to be reading it and I need to need to catch up so we can talk about it. I love that. I love it. 
So a few other ones that I have is I I play like I play with my hair. I play with my skin. I, I have a lot of tattoos is what I mean by that. I, I play the Bob Ross board game. I play with my cat. I play. I think play is play can be a value. And I think we need to play more. I hate games. Well, it doesn't have to be that. I mean, it could just be being playful, which you are. You're very playful. It could be like randomly singing. All right. That's the first time anybody has ever said that to me, but I'll, I will take your word for it. I am playful. I'm going to put that down in my Twitter bio. Playful. I, I, I really appreciate that about you, which brings me to my next one, which is that I regularly <laughs> express specific reasons why I appreciate those in my life. Which I do try to do. I try to do that as, you know, on people's birthdays, you know, get really specific about what about them I appreciate. But also just in general, like if something occurs to me, I tell them. I think that part of self-care is is to, for me, use the Calm app, which allows me to listen to bedtime stories. I, I love the Calm app. Yeah, I, you told me to get it and it actually does. It doesn't always work, but it frequently does help me to sleep because it has those stories that are, that right. are very soothing and a mm-hmm. little boring and you just kind of drift off. I have a face mask that's like a Bluetooth headset. So I wear uh-huh. it to bed. So I wear that and then I could hear it like in my ears and some of them are ASMR. So you can click on ASMR and you know, the ASMR it, like sounds really nice. I love it. I have no idea what you're saying. Oh, ASMR is like when you make those like, or like, like you hear you. Well, because you like whisper or like you make like sounds into your ear. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have heard of that. I'm super into it. I love it. So, I mean, other things, I let my dogs be my mentors. You know, Rose, she's old. My dogs here are old, too. They're rescued. They're cute as hell. They've they they've learned how to trust again. They like help me with gratitude. And I'm not good at like gratitude lists or like that kind of thing or like hashtag gratitude list. But I'm good at <laughs> I'm good at like look like be really being in the moment with the dogs because that's where they are. They're in the moment. So, I mean, I have a bunch of All other things. good advice. Yes. Yeah, so there's 40. There's 41. I assume the 41 is connected to the to your birthday. Age. Yeah. And, um, so, yeah. Where can people find it if they want to f- hear the rest of them? Go to kinderbeauty.com and click on blog and it'll be there. Cool. Yeah. So uh, let's let's move on. And this is your friendly reminder to vote. Damn it. Help, please vote. Yeah. We're not fooling around being nice about it anymore. Vote for, for God's sake. OK. Vote. OK. This very little time left. Depending on when you're listening to this, which might mean there's no time left. That's right. In which case, if you're in the future, how did it go? (laughs) I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Our NS Supports Vegan Businesses is a program that we started when COVID started because we recognize that a lot of businesses and especially vegan ones are struggling. And so with that in mind, we try to do some call outs to some businesses that have hit our radar in the week prior, whether they be businesses that we've been patronizing or ones that others have told us about. I want to start by talking about Sticky Fingers Bakery and Farewell Bakery Diner in Washington, D.C., I love both of these places, and Sticky Fingers is pretty iconic. They are the food child, food children of Doran Peterson, a junk food genius and an incredible activist. I love Doran's work, her edible creations, because they come from her life as an Italian Jew, and that's strongly influenced in her cuisine. So she has created Sticky Fingers back in 1999, 
So those of you who are old school remember it from the day. And then in 2016, she launched Farewell Diner. I was one of the first reviewers of her restaurant. I did a restaurant review for Veg News at that time. And so that was really fun because they brought out every single dish so that I could include them in the in the article. And and so anyway, if you are in D.C., go to Sticky Fingers, go to Farewell. You can find Sticky Fingers at stickyfingersbakery.com and the Farewell Diner at eatfarewell.com. Oh, so good. So good. Yeah. And so nice that you can order from them. Uh, and you can't order from Simply Pure Vegan Cafe and Restaurant which is a woman black owned business. But if you're anywhere near Las Vegas, you really want to check it out. This was created by chef Stacy Dugan and her passion stems from her own personal life changing experience, overcoming a number of health issues. So her goal is to inspire others to get on the plant-based uh, wagon and, and do it without feeling deprived. And all of the food is hundred percent vegan. And most is also gluten-free and allergy friendly you can just order food from her, but there's also a, a weekly meal prep service. And if you're a customer of that, you will also become eligible to participate in the Simply Pure Buy One, Gift One program. The goal is to provide a minimum of 100 free meals per week to people who need them. And as the website says, by working together, we will energize and contribute to the spirit of the Las Vegas community and spread love, kindness, and compassion through healthy plant-based food. Now, there is a motto anybody could be proud of. You can find them at simplypurely.com. Sounds great. I love it. And um, one thing I always try to do after these episodes air is I try to follow all of these businesses on social as well, because it reminds me that they're there and it reminds me to support them. And so that's one very simple thing we can all do, regardless of whether we're in the area Another woman Black-owned business is White Rhino Bags, which is committed to removing animals from the fashion and entertainment industry. They also have an ongoing collaboration with World Animal Protection U.S., and they donate 3% of all sales to their campaigns. The creator of White Rhino Bags, Claire Carreras, is a Canadian musician and vegan designer. Fair warning, don't go to their site unless you're prepared to buy. These are gorgeous bags and you will not be able to resist them. You can find them at whiterhinobags.com. Oh, they are amazing. I'm looking at them right now. Beautiful, really beautiful. Yeah. All right, let's get to this interview. We've been talking about how great it is. So people probably are waiting for us to shut up so they can listen to it. Robbie Lockie is a digital designer who co-founded the online platform Plant-Based News Limited with Klaus Mitchell in 2017. I can't believe that was just 2017. To act as a global platform for change. He also founded World Plant Milk Day to promote alternatives to dairy. And he has given talks at Vevolution Topics and London's VegFest. And he will join Jasmine right after this. The Our Hen House podcast is brought to you in part by Forager Project. California crafted since 2013, Forager Project is an organic, plant-based, family-owned and operated food company creating innovative, delicious tasting products sourced from nature's finest ingredients. That's nuts, seeds, ancient grains, and fruits and vegetables. Crafted by fellow foragers in its own unique purpose-built creamery, the only 100% organic, plant-based facility of its kind, Forager Project's family of foods include totally organic and 100% vegan yogurts, nut milks, sour cream, kefirs, shakes, and butter. 
Let me tell you about Forager Project's vote campaign, which I'm especially excited about. Forager recently announced its commitment to help cultivate democracy. During the next month, Forager Project will be shifting packaging on its yogurts, kefirs, and milks to encourage consumers nationwide to get involved and vote this November. And they're launching a broader effort with organic and paid advertising to encourage everyone to vote this November 3rd. I'll be voting, and I sure hope you will be too. They want you to cultivate democracy and vote. So get involved at foragerproject.com slash vote and follow Forager Project at at Forager Project. Welcome to our hen house, Robbie. Thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure. It's a pleasure for me too. I, I, I feel like I've known you forever and obviously I've known of you for a very long time, but we only actually connected not that long ago and discovered that we are in fact the same human. <laughs> it's kind of like sensate, but maybe like sense too. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm so excited that I also exist in like gay male form in England. And now that I moved to New York from the last time we spoke, we're just a swim away from each other, really. Yeah. So a short hop, skip, and a jump across the exactly. Atlantic. So where are you actually? Are you in London? I am in London, sunny South London, in a in a little town, a little um, medieval town called Penge, a bit hmm. like uh, Stonehenge. Stonehenge. <laughs> Got it. And how's how is London doing with the coronavirus? By the way. London was doing quite well up until a few weeks ago. Um, mm. Everyone was kind of getting on with their lives and life started to feel like it was returning to normal. But unfortunately, um, as with these things go when it comes to pandemics, there's always a second wave historically, uh, and it is now happening. Unfortunately, cases are doubling each week, and we're starting to see a sharp rise of um, people entering hospitals again. Mm. So it does seem that, you know, people did sort of maybe misleadingly think that it was had passed that we got through the woods but unfortunately you know the virus is still out there and it's still infecting a lot of people um mm-hmm. sort of starting to return back to a uh, that kind of not full not full lockdown but we have this rule of six you can't spend you can't be in groups of people more than six mm-hmm. there's now going to be curfews where you know bars and restaurants close at 10 o'clock I think it's just because obviously after 10 o'clock, people tend to get a lot more drunk and probably are going to flaunt the rules if they do so. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, people are so yeah. unreliable and just mess everything up. But it's it's an interesting moment to be vegan and to be an animal activist and to work in media mm-hmm. because... Marianne and I talk a lot on the show about how, you know, obviously so many of the things going on right now (laughs) that are problematic are rooted in animal agriculture. And then add to that the layer that we make media. And it's like, well, how do we position this in a way that like, you know, people are going to understand that connection because the mainstream media is still not like they're still not putting on the front cover of the papers, like go vegan and stop this, stop these shenanigans. Like, what do you think? I mean, interestingly, we're working uh, with a charity here in the UK called Viva to animal rights charity. Uh, 
we you know we're working on some campaigns to address this issue because you know one of the, one of the biggest reasons for people to suffer severe cases of covid-19 is obesity and type 2 diabetes and of course heart disease as well when people are suffering with these chronic illnesses it dramatically increases their chances of a severe case of covid so you know a whole food plant-based diet is the only diet proven to reduce the leading killers of human beings and you know there's studies being done in Slovakia recently where they put people through a whole food plant-based diet protocol and 86% of the people who took the diet were able to stop and reverse uh, their condition uh, and go into full remission in just 8 weeks so you know this diet the way we live and the way we eat a healthy vegan diet a healthy whole food plant-based diet is proven to reduce these diseases that actually can cause a more severe case of covid-19 so why we aren't prescribing this way of eating to more people is beyond me i i really you know i really sort of pull my hair out when i hear doctors recommending animal products so i think things do need to change i think the writing's on the wall but it's only a matter of time i think before you know we're going to see real change i think hmm yeah i hope so i really do uh, there are a lot of forces out there working against that even now and i think one of the biggest forces i mean we could talk about the dairy industry and we could talk about all of these major conglomerates but there's just this thing where people have it entrenched in their understanding that it is okay to exploit and consume animal products and so thus plant-based news. <laughs> and so I want to chat with you about like, oh, 800,000 things. So let's start with, you know, I think everyone listening to this is already familiar with plant-based news, but on the off chance that we have a new vegan or someone who is has been living under a slab of tofu for the last 10 years, what is plant-based news? Hello, new vegan. <laughs> Welcome, <laughs> Welcome to the of compassion. <laughs> um, so we, uh, we're Plant-Based News. We've been running for just under four years. Um, we started four years ago as a pet project between myself and my friend Klaus. Klaus started the YouTube channel in 2015, and he wanted to sort of chart the, the growth of the plant-based movement through, through sort of a journalistic video approach. And he kind of had this sort of like CNN vibe where he'd talk in front of the camera and it was, you know, he did it from his greenhouse. And the two of mm. us met at this um, amazing event called Vegan Futures, where it was kind of a TED Talks for vegans. And we met afterwards and became really good friends. He helped me move into my house where I live now in South London. And he said to me, you know, I'm doing this thing. Do you want to get involved? And I thought, and I thought well, I work in media and I work in digital. I'd love to get involved. And we started working together and, and built a platform which kind of covers and charts the growth of the vegan movement um, in all different kinds of ways, you know, from interviews with doctors and nutritionists to mini documentaries, to infographics, to, to podcasts, to all sorts of stuff. And we just kind of, you know, worked very hard to spread the message. And we were actually heavily inspired by Veg News. I, I saw Veg News on Facebook when I first became a vegan, and I was am amazed at how much information there was on this lifestyle. I, mm. When I first discovered it, I thought, am I joining some kind of cult? This is a bit weird. Um, <laughs> am I, you know, I'm going to die. Is it because when you joined, there was like a British voice in your ear saying, welcome, new vegan. <laughs> it was. Would you like to know more? <laughs> um, you just wake up and it's yeah. suddenly in your room. What? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, obviously there was veg news, but, you know, going back seven, 10, 12 years ago, there wasn't a lot on the internet. I, I've been told, you know, there was kind of some things, but the most of them felt more like a cry for help than anything else. Right. <laughs> and, and so, 
you know, Klaus and I thought we really want there to be a kind of veg news in, in Europe, in the UK, because there wasn't anything. Veg news is very focused on the US and we wanted to be focused on Europe and London and all that kind of stuff because there's so many exciting things going on here. So we didn't have the money to start a magazine. So we thought we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll do articles on the website. And four years later, yeah, we're two, 2.3 million fans strong. Wow. And um, have a team of five full-time people. And yeah, we love our jobs. Incredibly stressful and, and challenging, as I'm sure you can mm. relate to. But we love what we do and we feel like it's, it is making a difference. And we get letters every day say, telling us. So. I am shocked that it's only been four years. Shocked. Like that when you said that, I was like, no, that isn't true. Yeah. Because you are huge. And like you do so many things and you do it so well. So, you know, my probably one of my two most passionate things in the world is creating media that is pro-animal and, you know, gets the truth out about animal rights in a very accessible way. Yeah. And and the other one is using personal narrative as a means of social change. But you're like a storyteller and you're doing it in a variety of ways, as you just mentioned. So you just mentioned it's challenging. And of course, I feel you, sister. <laughs> but like, <laughs> what do you mean when you say it's challenging? Like, what are the biggest challenges that you face uh, on a day-to-day -day basis and then on a, on a global basis? On a day-to-day -day basis, it's a challenge keeping up. My inbox is ex exploding with requests and demands to, to share this or promote that or report on this or report on that. There's so many stories and ideas and concepts flying at me every single day. And it's, it can be exhausting to decide what to cover, what not to cover, what to put my time into, what not to put my time into. You know, I've got friends messaging me, asking me to promote and support what they're doing. And I, I find it very hard to say no to people because I want to help everyone. But when you have, you know, a thousand jobs to do each one taking like two, three, four minutes, you know, it, things start to pile up and then you sort of start dropping balls and not getting back to people. And then people get very upset with you. You know, I don't think I've called my mother in like three weeks. <laughs> when was the last time you called my mother? And if, if it's been more than three weeks, can you call her for me, please? Sure. <laughs> So on a personal level, you know, it's keeping up uh, and then also keeping, you know, revenue coming through. You know, we are we provide a free service. We don't charge for what we do. Um, and to provide a free service, we have to run on advertising and brand promotion. And that is really challenging because we have to keep on keeping uh, the money coming in the door, because if it doesn't, our, our small team will shrink and then our output will shrink and then the platform growth and reach will shrink. So it feels like a bit of a treadmill sometimes. And that's that's a real challenge. But wait, Robbie, I just have a question for you. What is your financial model? I mean, are you a nonprofit? Are you a for profit? We're for, yeah, we're a for profit uh, pending Corp B, you know, Corporation B. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. So our vision is to, you know, run a, a business that is ethically built on Corporation B values, which is, you know, business for good, using the capitalist model, but for good to put our money back into projects where we we will see real change, like World Plant Milk Day, for example. Um, that's our global national and sorry international day to celebrate the wonders of world of plant milk, which is twenty uh, second of August. Mm. And we sort of put funds and energy into projects like that so that we can kind of do good as well as tell the news and have a commercial model as well. Yeah, I do struggle with this, like what, running a media organization. Obviously, our hen house is a nonprofit, so it's slightly different, but Veg News is for profit. I struggle with like, where do you 
where do you draw the line between becoming uh, capitalists enough to make a living, but not so much that like you're selling out or it, does that even matter? Is there a such thing as selling out when we're, when we're vegans and we're trying to mainstream this, like, where do we draw the line? Especially given the fact that, like you said, people expect to consume media for free. It's a real challenge. Um, I bat- battle this battle with this every day. People and brands come to us and want us to promote what they do. And I sometimes have to stop myself and say, we can't just take the money from anyone. We have to do our due diligence and find out who they are. What are their credentials? Do they have unethical backgrounds? We do want to support and prioritize ethical and conscious brands. But, you know, if McDonald's came to us and said they want to launch a new vegan burger, you know, would we promote it and would we do a big brand campaign? That's a really like good question. And I'm, I don't know the answer to that because it hasn't happened yet, but we want to be able to take money from the, the meat industry so that we can destroy it. <laughs> right. Um, our, our strap line when we first launched was disrupting the conventional narrative. Mm. Um, and that's kind of what we are at, at our core, that we want to be a bit of a Trojan horse in the media. We want to grow and develop who we are to quite a large size so that we can use all the tactics of modern media, but at the same time have that message of change, which we want to inf- infiltrate, kind of like inception, you know, plant those ideas and seeds into people's minds in a way that's not the obvious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a tough thing to try and figure out all of the inroads here. Like, uh, you know, there's vegan products that are vegan, but they're not ethical. Like, you know, chocolate that comes from slave labor or butters that have palm oil in it, and it's it's hard to know like what where are we disrupting and when. And then, of course, you know, we get into other connected issues like anti-racism and things like that that are very important to us. And and so, where do you put that into the messaging? And actually. That's that's my next question for you, Robbie. Where do you put that into the messaging? Sure. I mean, representation of um, minorities to me is important. As a as a gay man, I was a queer man, as I call myself now. I I feel that I feel that you know representation and uh, is 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 vital because I think that what we want to do is we want to make this lifestyle as approachable to all people, and that can be as simple as making sure that the thumbnails on your articles aren't always cisgendered white. Uh, heterosexual couples, you know, and that there is diversity in everything that you do. And also the stories as well, that you aren't always just pulling on the same, you know, Caucasian celebrities over and over and over again. It's a real, it's a challenge to do that sometimes because I think with gender bias and racial bias, people tend to sort of just be drawn to what's familiar. There's that old question when I say, imagine um, a surgeon in your mind, what do you see? And a lot of people will just imagine an old white guy in like a white scrubs right or green scrubs is in the u.s and so we live in this a society that is that bias is so heavily you know it's ingrained in us so every day we have to be making sure that we're being conscious we're producing a film every year called vegan 2019 vegan 2020 and we have lots of sound bites from various people and you know there are many times we've had to go through it and we've sort of class and i've sat back and thought gosh there's so many men <laughs> where are all mm-hmm. the women why are we, where are the voices of women? And it's not that we have consciously excluded women. It's just that often women's voices are drowned out by the very loud men or the men that are a lot more competitive and that push themselves to the front that are always, you know, there all the time and don't sort of take a step back. So 
for me, it's about those those small making those small changes, those incremental changes in everything you do, from your thumbnails to your headlines to where you find your stories, and just you know making that effort all the time to be inclusive as possible. Yeah, it creates a a really great opportunity for us as as white vegans to be able to really get across the fact that our anti-racism, in my opinion, needs to be central to our, our veganism because otherwise, like, what's the point? We, we can't advocate for one group while continuing to oppress or marginalize another group. And that's one of my favorite parts about running a vegan media company. So I, I'm happy... I, I'm inspired by the way that you framed that. And I'm also inspired by the videos you make. Can you just talk a little bit about the way you keep up with this sort of like very fast moving, you know, video platform of today's digital era? Because I can't, like, that's why we don't really make videos anymore because the they change constantly. And Someone's always a lot better than me at it. So I just yeah. like, okay, great. I don't need to do that. But how do you do it? Because you do it really well. Thank you. Yeah, it's a, it's a team effort. I mean, we have someone often write scripts and we'll do research and we do clip research. You know, YouTube is obviously a huge asset for us. We've got over 400,000 subscribers on YouTube. And, and YouTube is the second largest search engine on earth under google.com. So when people look for things, they often go to YouTube second when they're trying to find something or trying to understand something. We tend to sort of look at trends and see what people are searching for, look at Google trends to see what people are like trying to hunt down as far as information goes. We very much focus on how we optimize our videos, so the title tags, the, the tags in the videos and the descriptions. But then also one vital part of video and essential part of social video is watch time. If mm. your audience are watching your videos and most of them get bored after the first minute or two, the algorithms will massively degrade the reachability of your video. So if you don't create uh, intrigue and keep the user hooked within the first three or four minutes, then you would have lost most of your audience. Mm -hmm. So um, I always recommend that people front load their videos with the most interesting aspects and then draw people in and then maybe sort of take them to another peak and then sort of trail off. So attention spans are dropping by the minute. Mm -hmm. I don't know if anyone listening has watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix. If you mm -hmm. Oh God, I just did. God help us all. Yeah, please watch it. This film is a sort of indictment on how social networks are essentially selling our attention as a commodity. And But what it has done is the way these networks have worked is over the years, it's actually reduced our attention span smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller because we're being overloaded with information. But that being said, we have to work with the machine. It is there. There's no way around it currently. And so we have to create videos that are short, that are attention grabbing. We try and avoid sort of hyperbole or too much you know, uh, clickbait. We do want people to, if they click that title, that they're not disappointed. Because that's the number one thing when it comes to social video. If you have a clickbait title and then people watch the video and they're disappointed and they click away after a minute, that's kind of a, a down ranking. You scored down. So that's where a lot of people make mistakes when they make video. They, they mm -hmm. kind of draw them out. They make them too long. They don't get to the point. Sorry, that was a really long-worded answer. but <laughs> No, it's actually true. And that movie terrified me. I mean, because uh, partly because I could recognize myself in it and, and partly because... I am also sort of like old enough and wise enough to have perspective on it. Like both of those things were happening for me. I was like, young people are completely screwed because they don't know what's happening to them. Just like cigarette ads for, for young people used to be. Like they didn't know. They were just being manipulated and going with it. Mm. And 
And at the same time, I was like, oh, my entire user experience as an as a like social media person is being curated and I am being manipulated. And guess what? I'm, I'm buying it. Mm. Like, I mean, you know, like we always joke, everyone always jokes, like you bring something up in conversation and then the next thing you know, it's like an ad for you on Instagram. And it's like not, I mean, it's not a coincidence and it's very scary, but like, it also makes me think, okay, well, if you can't beat them, join them. Like, mm. how do we as vegans, as activists, as media makers mm. jump on that to also get our message in people's ears? Yeah, we can use the machine. Uh, we can, but we need money. That's the trouble. We need to raise money. So we've got to do crowdfunders and we've got to seek angel investors and we've got to seek funders and donors to support our campaigns and our ideas. So we need, we need killer ideas. You know, killer is a bad word. Let's not use that. Nonviolent <laughs> killer idea. We need amazing ideas. We need innovative and interesting ideas to grab people's attention. Uh, and then we need to raise money, crowdfund the hell out of your ideas. And right. then hire a Facebook ad specialist. And you can get them for $150 a day if you wanted to. They're pretty affordable. And book them for a couple of days and tell them the ads you want and tell them the audiences you want to target. Vegetarians, meat producers. Mm-hmm flexitarians, people Mm -hmm. who are interested, what we call low-hanging fruit in our Mm -hmm. lifestyle. Now, don't target people who are going to just, you know, throw stones at you. Just target people who are interested and then create content and target them. Uh, Facebook advertising is actually Mm -hmm. surprisingly affordable and it is possible to track the success of what you're doing. So if you want to, say, get an email address or get a petition signed or something like that, it is possible to create what's called a conversion track so that if you send a 1,000 people to a landing page or a sign-up form, you can track how many people sign up and then you'll be able to work out how much money you spent, how many people converted, and then the success of your campaign. It, uh, it all sounds very technical, but I think, you know, there's, again, YouTube.com, there's so many lessons on how to do this stuff. And if you're really passionate about campaigning and about advocacy, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, and even YouTube ads are an amazing way to get the message or your message to tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. And it isn't rocket science. I mean, none of this is. I think like we as a, you know, deeply impressionable species frequently think we are this way and we are not that way. We can do this, but we can't do that. People who make podcasts are podcast makers. People who are... And the truth is like I started doing our hen house 11 years ago with a book called Podcasting for Dummies. Like all we need to do is figure it out and, and move forward with it. And that's what I like about you is that you just kind of look for the answers and pursue them. And like, sometimes we mess up and then we learn from it and we do better. And, you know, I, it thrills me when I learn about like activists like you who have an idea, go with it. And then it's like taking over the world, which is what I feel about plant-based news because you're really addressing it from all angles. I wanted to go back to something you said earlier about World Plant Milk Day. I'd love to know a little bit more about that because you touched on it and I know it's a big part of your collaboration and I want to know why you decided to focus on milk. For me, milk and cheese and dairy are such ubiquitous things in our lives from a very young age. It's, it's so integral to everything 
that we do when it comes to food in the Western world, at least. And I think that the dairy industry is so pervasive and so powerful, but at the same time, it's so damaging to our world, not just for our environment, but our health and the well-being of these beautiful, gentle creatures, the cows. I think that the uh, the suffering that animals like cows endure for a slice of cheese or a glass of milk is criminal. Um, and I think, you know, hope for, I feel in a few hundred years from now, people will look back at this time and look at what we did to the cows in utter horror. And I think that, you know, it's such a no-brainer once you get it. You know, you say to people, would you drink rat milk or dog milk or uh, monkey milk? And people sort of recoil in horror. But somehow we've managed to enslave these beautiful beings and steal their milk. Why is that okay? And and when you should really ask people those probing questions in ways that are maybe fun, funny or or kind of just a bit curious or rather than judgmental or finger pointing, the you see the cogs turning in people's minds and you say, Well, if we don't need milk for calcium and we can get that from plants, why do we need to consume milk? Right. And people go, Oh, it's nice. I'm like, well, what about the suffering of these beings? You know that the baby calves are taken away from their mothers and the males are shot. And I you know, give people these facts through the media we create. And people are horrified. And I think for me, it's, it's such a quick win. Once you start getting people to think about dairy, then meat is just the next thing on the list, which is a little bit easier. So I think when you can win people over by educating them about the horrors of the dairy industry, they're likely to be a little bit more open to the idea of, of cutting out meat or at least cutting back on it considerably. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that there are ways in with dairy across so many platforms. Like for example, there's the just gross out factor. Like once you start to explain what it is, I think people are like, they recoil. And then when you start to get into the, you know, feminist issues within it, then I think another aspect of like a lot of people's reactions is empathy. It's so much material, isn't it? It's so much material to work with right. to to un unpick the the mm -hmm. addiction that people have been uh, for not yeah, we're forced into it as children. We're given to it. We're given it to us without a choice. Yeah. So yeah, agreed. And it is the ultimate perversion of motherhood. And mm. I think, you know, when I first started, by the way, my little known fact, my very first job in animal rights was with Viva. It was, oh, they briefly opened an office in New York City. And I was like, so I was someone's assistant. I used to stuff veg starter kits and amazing. we would mail them out. Wow. Um, anyway, so, you know, I, I think that when we look back at the animal rights issues inherent in dairy, it's not only something that we can accomplish, but back when I started, we thought that the fringe, quote unquote, fringe issues were foie gras and fur. And they are still like, we thought, okay, let's focus on those because they are winnable. But I actually, you know, 17 years later, think that dairy is winnable. Like we, we can take it down. Oh yeah. What do you think? Dairy will be canceled shortly. <laughs> right. Yeah, agree. Yeah, I think you know, uh, someone once said, you know, if we don't end factory farming, factory farming is going to end us. We're living mm. in the midst of a pandemic, and you know, many of these genetic diseases have come from the way we farm animals. And, you know, the 1918 Spanish flu came from chickens. We have got to realize that the way that we farm and consume animals is not sustainable and it's dangerous. It's it's putting it's potentially writing the death sentence of the human species. So I think if we can get this information out to more people, 
I'm really hoping that people will listen. But that being said, we haven't talked about fake news yet, but as the social dilemma will tell you, false and fake news spread six times faster than true news. So as media creators, how do we convince people that what we're saying is in fact true and factual right. when we live in a world where doubt is the product uh, you know, which corporations use and they know is a, is a successful tool to keep people doing what they've always done? Right. Yeah. I mean, the fake news thing is another thing that to me is pretty recent. I, well, I guess it's not. There's always been fake news, but it's just really been elevated in the last year and a few years. And it is something that's very, very hard to compete with. So with that in mind, I'd love to know a little bit more about some of your favorite stories that you've covered or things you're most proud of within the giant multimedia hub of plant-based news. Uh, I guess it's some of the most things I'm proud of are some of my most recent pieces of media that I produced for like Viva, for example. I produced a short Envirommercial, you could say, for a campaign called Vegan Now, which features Greta Thunberg, George Monbiot, and Juliet Galatly, a founder of Viva, talking about extinction and about how the, the, the rate of species extinction is accelerating rapidly. And uh, if you go on YouTube and you search, are you ready to change the world? It's the first video there. It got over a million views. And it, and it really kind of speaks to the crisis of which we are being confronted. I want to create media that doesn't shock people through hyperbole and over-exaggeration. I want to show people the truth, but in a way that they're used to seeing it through you know, popular culture and popular media with like amazing music and incredible visuals you know a lot of people in the comments of the of the of the youtube video were like when's the film starting mm -hmm. the thing is, is that we're living in a dystopian movie like there are so many things going wrong in our society and in our environment because of who we are and what we're doing you don't need fiction to, right. to, to show the reality of the truth I guess what I'm most proud of really is also just the social strategy of what we've created, not so much individual stories. I had a real addiction with social media over the, I have always had since it began, since I first got onto it. And I was really worried that I was never going to be able to focus or have a career where I wasn't able to be constantly hooked onto social media and that I wouldn't be able to make something of myself. And I'm just proud that I was able to turn what is you know, an addiction really into something positive and reach the minds of millions of people and influence them in a positive way. Because that being said, I think, you know, social media is neither good nor bad. It's a, it's a bit agnostic. It's how we are using it. That is the problem. So I'm very pleased and proud that I was able to turn my sort of techie geeky abilities into something useful. <laughs> Right. That's good. Yeah. Actually, I do have quite a few questions about how, you know, your personal journey here, which I think I'll mostly save for the bonus content so that our flock can access it. But do tell me, just give me a teaser here. Like we start, we kind of started this interview with you starting plant-based news, but who, who were you before it? What were you doing? And like, what were those nerdy skills that you then plugged into what you do now? I was a creative director and I've worked in sort of media really since 1999 so way over 24 years and I um 
produced websites and worked in big digital agencies. I worked for Jamie Oliver. I worked for Getty Images. And my last job was at BMW UK building mobile websites. So very super uber geeky stuff. Mm. But I was a you know a pretty average person. I ate you know animal products. I would kind of the guy who would eat steak for breakfast and mm-hmm. just lived on tons of animal products and never really ever thought about it in the way I do now. And I almost feel like I'm a totally different person. But at the same time, I was a Buddhist as well. So my religion of choice was focused and centered on compassion. So this is, you know, we can talk about it later, but this is where my kind of crossroads appeared, where I thought to myself, I'm a Buddhist, but then I'm killing animals. That's not very compassionate, is it? Hmm. Well, not, I'm not killing animals personally, but I'm paying other people to do it for me. What a hypocrite I am. That's actually after watching Earthlings. But yeah, very different. A very, very different person. I mean, I, you know, I was always focused on like social change. I was involved in anti-child sex trafficking with Love 146 for many years, helping raise money for Love 146 and trying to educate people about the horrors of childhood trafficking, which is a global industry. Well over a million children are sold into slavery every single year worldwide. And, you know, I was involved in that for a while. I actually had to sort of get out of it because it it just, it was a bit too much for me. I find the work a bit soul destroying and I never felt like I could really bring any real change. Mm Before that, I was also involved in educating people about the ethics of money. I worked on a campaign called Move Your Money, where we got a million people to move their bank accounts away from banks like Barclays and HSBC, just because of the dirty money that is behind a lot of those big banks. Mm. um, I've always been involved in some kind of social change of some sort, and always had a passion for it, probably from my sort of Buddhist background and my Buddhist training, you could say, which really teaches you to not just accept the world as it is, but to sort of go out and change it, you know, if you have the courage to do so. Well, I feel like I can't leave our listeners on this cliff. So can you just sort of connect the dots for me? Was was there a cat involved? Is that what I read? That there was a cat involved who helped you sort of get from like steak, steak breakfast guy? What was it, Robbie? <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, as I said, I was like eating a lot of animal products and I actually was very unwell all the time. I had a lot of bloating and pain and aches and skin rashes, a lot of trouble sleeping and like regulating my body temperature as well was a nightmare. I'd often frequently faint on the tube uh, or the tube, as you would call it. <laughs> I think we um, would call it the subway, but okay. the subway, sorry. <laughs> but you pronounce it tube. tube um, right. Yeah, it yeah. sounds better when you say it. Yeah. uh, So on the subway, I'd often like faint because my body couldn't regulate its heat for some reason. And I was just very unwell. And I went on this journey of discovery of trying to understand or get to the bottom of what was wrong with me. And I saw doctor after doctor after doctor, and no one could tell me what was wrong with me. Some said I might have some kind of fibromyalgia, some neurological disorder, but there was nothing that was very clear. Around that time, seven plus years ago, Netflix appeared in the UK and I started sort of gorging on these incredible documentaries about nutrition and, f- and the food system, Food Inc., Fat, Sick and Nearly Dead by Joe Cross, Forks Over Knives, which is a wonderful film. And I was just so amazed and inspired by all this incredible food, which obviously happened to be plant-based and vegan. I didn't really know what that meant at the time. And then I also was recommended to watch a film called Earthlings, which is you know, an old film now, but at the time it was you know, powerful. I mean, it's still a powerful film. And that film sort of took me through, and I'm sure a lot of the vegans who are listening have watched it. That film and the script behind that film really unfolded in a way that what I believe unlocked the realization within me of who I was supposed to be. 
And it really laid bare the reality and the horrors of what humanity have become. You know, this sort of zombie-like species sort of ripping through Mother Earth, tearing her heart out and eating it alive. Um, and it was a really hard moment for me to sort of look in the mirror and realize that I'm part of this destructive species and really grapple with that and, and wrestle with that. It was very painful. And I remember feeling huge amounts of turmoil and, and kind of anxiety and anger as well. And then that afternoon that I was after I'd watched the film, I heard a huge like screech outside my house. People were screaming and some I heard people crying and I rushed out the front door. And there on the tarmac uh, in, on the cul-de-sac in front of our house was this beautiful white Persian cat, which was our next door neighbor's cat. And they were lying on the floor, flapping around in this huge pool of ruby red blood. And I looked ahead and I saw this big people carrier with mum and her kids in the back. And I ran over to the mum and she was crying and the kids were screaming and crying. And she said, please, can you do something or whatever? Please, I don't know what to do. Went back and I looked down at the cat and she or he, I can't remember what the gender, their gender was, but I was looking down at them and they were shaking and their eyes were twitching and, and quivering. And people say, you know, when an animal is suffering, that you should put it out of its misery, that that is the compassionate thing to do. But I just couldn't do it. I, I held her in my hands and she was shaking and her eyes were shaking. And I had this sort of like spiritual moment where I was her and she was me. My blood was her blood. Her blood was my blood. Her hair was my hair. Her eyes, she, I think she had green eyes like mine. And I became the cat and I, I felt her pain and she, her life slipped from her body whilst she was there in my hands. <laughs> and I could have sat there on the floor covered in blood while she wow. was know died in my hands and i um i didn't know what to do i was i was just sort of shaking and 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 the film was in my mind i'd only just seen it and i there were scenes of animals you know companion animals like cats and dogs in this film who had been abused and i was thinking about them and i and i just thought to myself if i could not take the life of this beautiful creature to end her suffering end her his or her suffering why am i paying other people to take the lives of beautiful creatures just for me for my you know for pleasure for food and then really in that moment in that time i decided i had to i had to become vegan i had to stop eating animals and from then I've, every single day i've dedicated every minute to it oh, that, <laughs> wow robbie that's a really powerful story beautiful story really tragic story and i'm just glad that that was the your takeaway from it was to devote your life to changing the world for animals and i'm always so sad to hear that that someone had to like you know die in some yeah. very painful way for us to make that connection but we have to make those connections you know i really hope that those kids, I hope that those kids are okay. And I hope that those kids also come to make that connection too, because that's just very traumatic. Yeah, absolutely. It was, and, and I actually, you know, wrapped wrap the kitty up in, in a box and took took her or him to, I think, the home where she was and all the sort of family came running out and, you know, the children all came running out and, you know, I was explained that their cat, you know, had been killed. And that was also equally difficult. And, and, you know, that's something that will, that one moment will stay with me for the rest of my life. And I think, you know, this is something that I carry with me all the time is that what humans, we're not taught, we're not taught this. Every single sentient being on this world is unique. Every one with its own life, with its own thoughts, with its own dreams, with its own feelings uh, of fear and loneliness and everything. And every single beautiful being of, that is sentient is a gift 
from our universe and each of us emerges out of the void you could say or whatever wherever we come from precious in our in our nature and i feel that as human beings we are meant to be custodians of this beautiful world of this library of diversity and life mm. we have gone the wrong way um because we are killing everything mm-hmm. you know, not just ourselves but we've wiped out over 50 percent or 60 percent of the biodiversity on our, in our in our world in in less than 100 years I don't think we realize on uh, mass what we're doing. And I wish I could scream it from the rooftops and I wish I could stop people in the streets and shout at them and say, <laughs> do you realize that we're losing all of them? That one day this world might be barren. It might have humans and some bugs and trees and that's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you really want to see a world where there's nothing left. I don't. Yeah. Well, if I, if, if, if I wanted to see a world with almost nothing or no one left, I would want the animals to be the ones here, yeah. not the humans. But yeah. I, you know, when you were telling that story, I, I bringing us on quite the emotional journey, I thought how lucky we are to have this release valve of animal advocacy, because there are other people who would have experienced that same experience as you and they would have been a, you know also a, a more or less good person and and have helped as much as they could have and then just gone back into their lives and gone back mm. into their day to day and and it in it, it would have clogged them it would have it would have like deadened them mm. and and we get to feel alive and we get to change the world for animals and we get to put these experiences into productive action and we get to allow these animals to have the voice that they already have through leveraging them with media. And so it all does go back to how can we each change the world for animals? And you certainly are doing that. So I'm glad you're here. Let's, let's switch gears real quick and just Robbie, the world is pretty fucked up. I don't know if you've noticed, but what <laughs> what gives you hope then? Like given given this story that you just told and given like the pandemic and given the fake news and given all of the above, like what what do you hold on to as hope? As long as there are good people fighting every day for change, as long as there are people trying to save animals from rivers and people risking their lives to go into, you know, factory farms to expose the horrors of these industries, there's always going to be hope, even if that's just, even if that's just one person alone on earth and the rest are just mindless zombies, you know, always a chance for us to turn things around. You know, I know that expression that's always darkest before the dawn is a bit of a cliche, but, you know, we are at a crossroads as a species. We are very young. We've only been around really for 200,000 years. And in the eyes of the universe, that's nothing but a blink. So if we do manage to survive the next few centuries, uh, we have the potential to be incredible beings. We can travel the stars and be in beings of light and not of darkness. You know, we have good and bad, uh, you know, light and dark within all of us, I think. And I think I've seen so much good in this world. I've seen so many incredible people cleaning the oceans with incredible technologies, building wonderful machines to capture light from the sun and turn it into energy. You know, there's so many incredible inventors and um, wonderful people who can see a bright, greener, cleaner, kinder future. So I've seen it with my own eyes. So I know it is possible. And I just 
want more people to dream about that future. And yes, it's a scary time and, and we are in trouble, but that doesn't mean that if we don't all stick together and that we keep pushing and we keep holding on, that we, will, that we won't survive, because I think we will. But we have got to stop killing animals and eating animals and change the way we live, because if we don't, there is no future for us. Amen. Absolutely. So please tell our listeners how they can listen to your podcast and also just follow plant-based news and support your efforts. You can find us on all the social media, much to my uh, dismay, because <laughs> the more you social media you have, the more work it is. But we're everywhere, forward slash plant-based news, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and we're on, we're on SoundCloud, forward slash plant-based news, where I have, I would like to say weekly, but it's not. It's more infrequently podcasting by myself and yeah, and our website, plantbasednews.org, with regular updates and news on everything vegan and plant-based. And, of course, YouTube for more uh, plant-based nutrition and uh, science. Mm -hmm. Well, wonderful. Robbie, thank you so much. I hope you stick for a few more minutes so that we can chat to, to the flock. And and you're just so inspiring, and I'm so grateful to you for all that you're doing. It's, it's, you, it's powerful, and it's it's heartfelt, and it's like your stories are, are next level, and you, you are an incredible incredible ambassador for animals and for people. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's a real honor and a privilege to finally chat with you. We're excited to announce Encompass Essays, Pursuing Racial Equity in Animal Advocacy, a collection of essays written by farmed animal protection advocates who are committed to exploring and prioritizing racial diversity, equity, and inclusion as we work to create a more just animal protection movement. The authors, myself included, are a group of advocates who wish to document our stories and processes in an exploratory space from which we can grow. And we would like to hold ourselves and our peers accountable and create new ways forward. Encompass Essays is a collaboration between our headhouse, Encompass, and Sentient Media, and I'm truly honored to be the editor on this essay collection. The only way to be an effective animal activist is to centralize anti-racism around our advocacy. Encompass is a nonprofit working to make the farmed animal protection movement more effective by fostering racial diversity and inclusivity. Sentient Media, where the essays are rolling out, is a robust digital platform that reports on animal agriculture and its impact on the world. This essay collection is providing a new and necessary way forward, one in which we can all be held accountable for doing exactly what I just said, for centering our anti-racism in this fight to end the exploitation of animals. Beyond the digital presence for Encompass Essays, which includes plans for audio versions of the essays, which will air here on the Our House podcast next year, Lantern Media will be publishing an anthology version of the collection in both hard copy and digital form. Down the road, we will parlay the work of the collection into a springboard for digital panels, collaborative discussions, and hands-on trainings. And in addition, the hope is that this is the beginning of a three-part series where the authors will revisit our anti-racist work and provide updates to be published in future follow-up collections. So you can learn more at sentientmedia.org slash encompass dash essays. Again, it's sentientmedia.org slash encompass dash essays. Anxiety's rising! Yes, they are. The big story this week, you probably have heard of it. This article is from CNN. And veggie burgers get EU lawmakers vote. 
take hard line on dairy labels. So this is partly good news that anxieties are maybe calming down a little bit. And then as, as far as dairy goes, that anxieties are out of control. And this refers to this decision of the European Parliament that restaurants and shops in the EU should be allowed to label products as veggie burgers or vegan sausages. <laughs> like, why wouldn't they? Oh, my God. Why wouldn't they? What is more, like, is that not clear? How stupid are people in Europe if you don't think they know what a veggie burger is or a vegan sausage? So they did actually, in spite of uh, pleas from farmers to allow companies that sell veggie burgers to call them veggie burgers. But dairy, apparently they're really, really nervous about losing uh, the plot line on dairy because a majority uh, voted for stricter rules on labeling of dairy substitutes. They're not even allowed to use terms such as milk-like or cheese-style if, if things don't contain dairy. And this is on top of the uh, bans that are already in place on terms like soy milk and vegan cheese. They can't even say cheese-style. Boy, are these people nervous that people don't really want dairy anymore? Why don't they just get rid of it? You know, come on. Get with the program here. This is not an absolutely final decision. I cannot explain EU governmental structure to you because it's way beyond me. Uh, but apparently there is a next step here. So um, we'll be looking forward to hearing about that, whether this lasts. But at least you can call a veggie burger a veggie burger in Europe. That's something. Animal activists move the goalposts again. This is from the blog for the Center for Consumer Freedom. And it points out that, quote, for years, the smarter activists, i.e. not PETA, have realized that demanding people become vegan overnight isn't a persuasive campaign. So they latched onto the Meatless Monday campaign. You know, I, I think that most of us probably thought Meatless Monday was a little too weak. But as this this article accurately points out, one-seventh vegetarianism was never the goal. No, it isn't. Seven-day veganism is the goal. So I would agree with that. This was confirmed last week when animal liberation group World Animal Protection launched a new campaign, Meeting Halfway, that's M-E-A-T-I-N-G, Halfway, which moves the goalposts from Mondays to half the meals you eat. What a crazy thing. And according to this article, we've seen similar duplicity from the Humane Society of the United States and points out that, that while the Humane Society of the United States was, was campaigning for cage-free eggs, they really wanted people to not buy eggs at all or to buy free-range uh, eggs. No, just stop buying eggs. It's so ridiculous. Oh, why this is like the implication of moving the goalposts and whatever, it's the implication that there's something like deceptive here. I don't think it is like animal rights people would like people to eat none, none of this crap. But if they're going to eat some of it, eat less of it. That doesn't seem like that contradictory to me. And and just doing it one day a week is pathetic. So move it up to halfway. But, you know, don't really move it up to halfway. Just eating it. Craziness. All right. Canceled rodeos and livestock shows raise alarm bells. This is from the beloved Amanda Radke from, from beefmagazine.com on the Beef Daily column. For years, she points out, animal rights activists, environmental extremists, and the Hollywood elite have targeted livestock producers in our way of life. Wish we had a little more of the Hollywood elite. That would be nice. 
Oh, should they have their way, cattle, pigs, poultry, and sheep would be obsolete. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, the the real problem here is not what what's gone on in the past. The real problem here is what the pandemic is doing and causing all of these problems. It's just it's it's just provided cover for these animal rights activists. And so all of that is is drastic. And there's a ballot initiative in California, Prop 15, which would increase property taxes on things like agricultural buildings and fruit trees. Well, you know, I don't really care about fruit trees. Why should they have to pay taxes? Just tax the farmer, the ranchers, tax the ranchers. Anyway, that's not really what this article is about, or, or else the article is just kind of a trick to get you to think about that. But what she's really upset about is the closures, cancellations, and postponements of major rodeos and livestock shows. Oh, gee. The event planners in the cities who host these agricultural expositions are making the tough call to shutter the doors on these time-honored traditions. And so what she thinks um, is a great result that they've gone to friendlier cities. Friendly, that's what she calls them. That means cities that don't have any um, restrictions. She's actually from, she's from the Dakotas, I think. I forget whether it's north or south. Where are they having a huge outbreak? But no, you know, she thinks we should have rodeos and livestock shows. Well, yeah, there's a really essential business. And she also thinks this is like an infiltration by activist groups. Uh, with increased pressures from activist groups and greater liabilities to have animals in public places where they might be in danger from acts of violence from, quote, vigilantes. It appears these groups might finally be caving to the mob. That The mob is you and me. That's us. <laughs> I don't know whether we're really that effective as a mob, but, you know, we try. We try. She wants you to think about the intent of these cancellations. Is it truly just about the virus? Or is there something larger and more long-term going on here? Well, I hate to admit it, Amanda, but it's just about the virus, <laughs> which is a pretty big thing and which is raging out of control in the area of the country that you're from. So maybe you should like, you know, get with the program here. Oh, but that's not going to happen, is it? That's it for this week's Rising Anxieties. Well, that's it for this week's show. As always, if you like the podcast and you're able in these difficult times, you can support us by joining our flock at ourhenhouse.org slash donate for $10 a month or $100 a year. Or you can make whatever donation you're comfortable with. Another great way to support us is to leave a fabulous review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to podcasts or like us on Facebook. You could also leave us a review there or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at at ourhenhouse. If you shop on Amazon, you can use Amazon Smile using Our Hen House as your favorite charity. And of course, tell your friends about us. If you're one of our listeners who already supports us, thank you so much. And thank you to my co-host, Marianne Sullivan, and to Jen Riley for her work in producing this podcast, and to composer Michael Heron for the music. Thanks to Podcast Haven for their work editing this podcast, and to our production assistant, Jocelyn Martinez. We will be back next week with a brand new show. So don't forget to subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're a Flock member, remember to check your email or the Flock Facebook group on Tuesday for your bonus content. And join us on Fridays for Flock Fridays, where we do some really cool Zooms that you'll want to join. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Jasmine Singer. and Be safe out there. Social distance. Stay home, wash your hands, and listen to podcasts.